the nonprofit MBA purpose is to provide new business insights and fresh creative ideas for executive directors and their teams that will help them improve their organization. Here is your host, Stephen Holastic. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Holastic. I'll be your host for today's nonprofit MBA podcast, as I have been for six years. I am the co-founder of Financing Solutions. And for those of you who don't know about Financing Solutions, for the last 12 years, we've been the leading provider of lines of credit for small nonprofits in the United States. Yes, there's a company. Well, we're actually the, the number one provider that provides a line of credit, which is great for nonprofits because many, many nonprofits have ups and downs in cash flow, and you're not unique to that problem. And so the line of credit really helps you with that. It's an emergency cash flow backup plan. If you're interested, please visit our website at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. Again, that's nonprofitmbapodcast.com. And we have a sponsor. Our sponsor uh, for today's podcast is Arraise. Arraise is, a, is online accounting software specifically made for small to medium-sized nonprofits. Uh, it's a single solution for fund accounting, fundraising, and payroll. And it's designed by CPAs. It's a great product. I actually use it for one of the nonprofits that I'm a board member on. And we love it. It's much better than a, other software that's not built for nonprofits like QuickBooks. So if you're interested, please visit their website at arraise.com, A-R-A-I-Z-E.com, or give Joe a call at 866-840-7449. Again, that's arraise.com. Today, I'm very excited to be speaking with uh, Andrina uh, Sawyer from Perk Consulting. Today, we're going to be covering strategic planning for nonprofit founders. With um, And uh, you know, I'd like to welcome Andrina. Andrina Sawyer, uh, she is the president of Perk Consulting, an advisory firm for small to mid-sized nonprofits and businesses, and the founder of Mickwin. It's actually M-C-W-E-N, uh, a faith-based initiative for women of color in business. For her work with nonprofits and small small businesses, she has received numerous awards, including the Startup African Woman uh, uh, Entrepreneur of the Year Award and the Black Business Reviews 40 Under 40. Andrina, welcome to today's Nonprofit MBA podcast. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you for having me on. So how did you first get involved in uh, some of your nonprofit work? Yeah, it's funny because it actually started when I was a teenager. And I didn't know that that was the term for what I was doing, nonprofit. But I started uh, heavily volunteering in my community. And I started my first organization called Triple T Mad. Uh, in central New Jersey, where I lived at the time. And it stood for teens trying to make a difference. But again, I didn't know that this was a sector. I didn't know there was a structure, what we were trying to do. I just knew that I wanted to give back to the community and organized it through that organization. Good, good. Now, listen, if uh, I knew we, uh, Andrina, if you do have a volume on your microphone, if you can turn it up a little bit, that would help. Um, sure. So that way we can hear everything you say. So uh, if you, you can't find it, don't worry about it. Um, so to start off, you know, today's podcast, again, is about strategic planning for nonprofits. When you are working with a client, typically, what do you find uh, common amongst the clients that you have worked with when they're first coming to you? Yeah, the first thing is, is what you do, which is financing and cash flow. That's always the biggest problems for organizations. But I find that behind that, it's usually programs 
um, some type of program development um, that wasn't done to ensure the continuity of, of programs, which generate the revenue for most nonprofits. Um, that's usually the biggest issue. First is funding, then it's usually programs, but even be behind that capacity, um, a lot of nonprofits have a high turnover. Um, when you don't have you know, a, a strong capacity and, and good employees who have the buy-in into the mission and vision, that does stop the fluidity again of your programming and the work that you're doing. So I'd, I'd say the first thing is usually funding. Yeah, it's interesting. I wouldn't have thought of that. Um, it makes sense now that you're saying it, that people are usually coming in because of cash flow problems um, or, or, you know, that I, I would have thought, I, I don't know, I just would have thought someone would have come to you because um, they felt that their organization was all over the place when they're with their direction of where they're headed. Yeah, no, that that's usually why they come to me. But what usually triggers it is usually the financing. So if they're having a hard time getting grants, if they have, you know, their donor engagement strategy isn't very good, then they start to question, well, why are we struggling financially and why are we struggling so often? And so they come to me to create a strategic plan. And part of the formula that we use in strategic planning does include an arm for financing, even though that's not our specialization. Um, but part of it is assessing where the breakdowns are. And so we focus on the long-term development of the actual organization, the systems, infrastructure. But it's usually finances that that stirs the conversation. What what um where what do you find when when you when you're looking at their finances? And is there just are they just spending without thinking? Or is there no budget? Is there is there not enough money coming in for the organizational size, which I I doubt, but usually nonprofits are pretty good at spending what they have. Yeah. Um, what what if what have you seen in regards to financing that they're kind of not financing finances about yeah. what what they're doing? So so we don't take a very close look at their finances. We look at again where the breakdown is, and for many of them, they overestimate what it would cost to actually run the programs effectively. And so there aren't any contingencies for, well, if we have a program that, you know, can run for six weeks for youth in Southwest DC, let's say, what happens if only half of what we estimated register, half of those youth register? What happens if our funder doesn't renew? And so there aren't a lot of contingencies and they, again, overestimate what it'll take to run the programs. And like I said, capacity sometimes becomes an issue. Yes. The types of organizations that I work with, they rely heavily on volunteers challenge with volunteers is that sometimes they don't stay for very long. And so if you're relying on volunteers to run this program for a while, what are you going to do if someone leaves? And so, you know, again, just long-term thinking, I find is probably the, the thing that has a direct connection to finances that they don't make contingencies for. Uh, that's, that's a pretty scary moment when you look at that and you say, oh, if we lose this funder, we're we're in a lot of trouble, right? I mean, it, I, you probably, the smaller nonprofits only have one or two sources where they're getting money, I guess. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. One or, one or two, if they're lucky, large funders. Most are going to rely on donors for their bread and butter, or they're going to re rely on the revenue from the programs that they run. Um, and so if you don't have a robust strategy for either of those things, you're in trouble. Um, even if you have a large grant, let's say the funder is late in actually giving the award out. Um, again, you're in trouble if there is no buffer. So, so 
Tell me what you typically recommend. If you could give me the top three to five things that you would tell people about strategic planning, what would you say they are? Yeah, to know the difference between that and a business plan. We get a lot of people that come to us thinking that a strategic plan is just another name for a business plan. And we like to tell them that the difference is the business plan will paint this organization um, in its ideal state, but it doesn't actually give you action steps or actual items that you need to walk uh, work through. Um, so I would say first thing is to understand that. But then three, make it as comprehensive as possible. So traditionally, most organizations will have a three-year plan or a five-year plan. Um, and what we like to do is we say five is great, right? But we actually want you to focus on the first 90 days to the first year of this strategic plan. And we break up the strategic plan into these four arms again, which are finance, operations, capacity, and customer. And I always tell my clients, everything is important, but not everything is urgent. And so even with those four arms, you need to figure out what is most urgent and what needs, what are other items depending on and focus on that. So you take bite-sized pieces and not try to implement the entire plan at one time. You find that... um what do you typically tell your clients in regards to reviewing the strategic, pl- strategic plan? Because we all know that you can work up a strategic plan and, and then it goes into the draw and you don't yes. look at it again. So what's the rhythm that you would suggest to people when they're, when they, after they've made up the strategic plan, you know, how much they should be reviewing it? Yeah. So when we develop the plan, uh, we go through something called the ABCs of strategic plan. And it goes from A to the letter E. And the E stands for evaluation. And so we tell people, you want to focus as much on the E for evaluation as you do on the A, which is the assessment, right, or the development of the plan. And so with the assessment, the way that you ensure this becomes a working document is you put certain things, certain parameters in place. One is you have somebody who's going to be the point person for making sure implementation gets done. And so part of their job in the development of this plan is to make sure that we have quarterly reviews of this meeting if necessary. We review this on an annual basis based on what the rhythm of implementation looks like. Another part of it might be incentivizing the work getting done. So if you've broken this document into bite-sized pieces where we're working every 30 days, there's a different benchmark that that we're working toward, what's the incentive to keep people engaged? And so there are very practical ways to really work through that E of evaluation that get people engaged. I mean, because the truth is, even with a one-year plan, after about four months of working at it, most of us get bored, we forget it, we get distracted. Um, And so you have to be as intentional about that piece, the implementation. And then the other thing that I found, Stephen, is that um, traditionally, these plans are, are thick, right? So they're like 20 pages, 30 pages. I've even seen one 30 plus pages. We use a template that's a one page document that streamlined the, the strategic planning work so that it's actually only one page. And that's not as intimidating for someone who's new to strategic planning. And it, it keeps you engaged. It keeps you motivated to think about how practical this one-page document looks. I completely agree with you. I just so that everybody knows, you know, I've had multiple businesses and and, in, and for the nonprofits I'm on the board for, I only do a one-page strategic plan. And I've I've had a I've tried it before where I've gone three, four, five pages, and it's just not helpful. 
And so I, I, you're the first person that I've seen, uh, Adrena, that where you've said a one-page strategic plan. I like that. Is Do you have a template that people can use? I do. I yeah. do. I'm happy to share that. And we'll do it at the end, but that's that's cool. Um, because I, I think that is very, very, I've, I really, um, so there's a couple of things that you've said that has caught my attention. Number one is most people should know that turnover in a company or a nonprofit is always a function of management. It's not a function of how much someone gets paid. So if you're sitting there saying, oh, we are not keeping our people because we're not paying them enough, you are going against one of the top management principles out there. And that is, uh, it, it's, it's not the money. And so that's number one. I mean, you're going to have some turnover, but it should be three, four or 5%, not 20. So uh, number two, you said about cash flow. Um, uh, you know, most nonprofits that survive a very long time just do an incredible job of budgeting. And then, you know, you said something that was really, um, really great. And that was the, uh, uh, but what if scenario, but what if we lose this? What if, Things are delayed here um, because you can't plan uh, if uh, for um, what you do in an emergency uh, if you don't start asking those what if questions. So that that's all good stuff. When when you've seen take, th- I, I want you to think of one of your best clients who came into you and did an awesome job implementing what you said. Yeah, uh, for our strategic planning. What have you noticed that they do really well over a long period of time with the strategic planning? Follow my advice. (laughs) 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 Well, I mean, we, we get some nonprofits who come in and they're so used to doing things one way. And so the introduction of even the plan is scary. Why are they coming to you? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if you're not going to listen to what you say and implement it, that's crazy. Is it, I think so. is it because there's a lot of turnover at the executive director level? There is some turnover. And yeah. I, I think the, the finances kind of fuels a lot of that. Well, give us a magic pill. Document what we need. Even if we don't implement it, we at least have it documented to show to someone that we're working towards something good. It's, it's supposed to be a magic pill for a lot of people. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think what most people forget or don't not forget, they don't know about a strategic plan is it actually helps you create and identify and know your culture. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that culture is such a huge part of an organization where, so, so let's talk, let's talk about what, what does culture mean? Cause I, I, I have a 23 year old son and a 14 year old son. I, the 23 year old son, ever since he was like 17, I would talk to him about the idea of culture um, mm-hmm. for businesses and culture is the personality of the organization. Mm-hmm. So well, I'll give you an example why it would, where uh, it, culture could affect you. If you have a high turnover and let's say you run an organization that's, that's super serious about what it does. Like the, the executive director, the founder, the board, they're really super serious about delivering whatever it is that you want to do. And then you hire somebody whose culture, uh, their, their personality is laid back. They, they don't really care about things that much. Um, they, you know, they show up late, they leave early. Uh, it's not going to fit 
the culture of the personality. Right. And so, you know, that's why the strategic plan helps you identify, you know, a lot of things that helps you say, this is who we are and what we want to be. And um, that's just a simple example. Would you, would you agree with that? Absolutely. I mean, when, when you ask uh, the clients that I've seen success with, what are they doing differently? One of the things that they do is they're very honest. They're honest about their current standing, but they're also honest about the long-term vision. And a huge part of that, that, that shapes that, that standing is the culture of the organization. And so when people are not as invested, they don't have the buy-in, that's usually where the breakdown happens is all of a sudden, this doesn't match what I thought it would be. Yeah, um, I've seen it where organizations have volunteers that are willing to work as if it were their full-time job. But again, it's because the culture is fun. It's something that they see themselves, they fit, assimilate very well into. And then some other organizations, they're willing to pay people, but they can't pay people to stay. And that's because work is not fun for them. And I'm not suggesting that the culture has to be fun, but it's not something yeah. that that's easy for them. Yeah. Um, I think when there's a match between your personality and the organization's personality, it's a seamless transition. And most people enjoy that. Um, but when there's that that stark difference, a lot for a lot of people, it just becomes work. Um, and I mean, nonprofit is inherently like it's high pace for a lot of us, high turnover because of the burnout. Um, but when you have that added layer of culture mismatch, then it makes it even worse. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things that employees really like, everybody likes, doesn't you know, is. Uh, um, organization. So I, you know, where, you know, everybody understands what their role is. Everybody understands how they're measured, right? Which yeah. maybe at a nonprofit, that, that is an unheard of word, but everything is documented. Processes are identified. Um, it, you know, everybody knows what the mission of the organization is and how, how, how you can measure if you're doing good or not. Right. Mm-hmm. They, that's what people want. They, you know, that's what good people want, right? Uh, people who are just not showing up for a paycheck. And that's the problem at a nonprofit. You know, the, the pay isn't, you know, always as good as a for-profit sector. And, and often people are working for a nonprofit because they want to feel good about what they do. Right? Fair? fair? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think that, um, for a lot of people, when it comes to the implementation and building the rapport of the team, I'll say this. I had um, someone that I recently worked with where it was a very small nonprofit um, and they had high turnover. So they essentially had to start all over from the board all the way to actual team members um, for the implementation of programs. And they went through volunteer match to restart all over. And that was the selling point for them was that, hey, we don't have as much, we're rebuilding, but this is what you can expect when you come to the organization. And so they led with value added, they led with the culture description, and the executive director did the hard work of asking himself, you know, what is it about me and how my values are aligning with this organization that's either driving people away or attracting people? And that's, you know, that's an important conversation. Was it, was it that way because they did a strategic plan? After, yeah. yeah, 
after all the, the high turnover. And I tell people that's the biggest difference between the business plan and the strategic plan is you actually get to have those action items there. You get to break it out. You do a SWOT analysis, for example, which is going to tell you what your weaknesses and your threats are. Right. Most of us go through the day to day operations and we never think about what the weaknesses in this organization's infrastructure are. But when you actually deliberately sit down and ask yourself those tough questions, it becomes personal, but it also becomes an internal shift um, that everybody gets to participate in through the strategic planning process. What does SWAT stand for? Yeah. So it stands for strengths, weaknesses, opportunities and threats. OK. Yeah. yeah. And um. For those who've never done it, one of the reasons I love it is because the S and the W are known as what's called an internal environment assessment. And so if you're honest about those two things, you can leverage your strengths to build the capacity of the organization, but you can focus your strategic plan on those weaknesses so that they don't turn into the T, which are the threats. And the the O and the T are known as what's called an external environment assessment, because those are things that are completely out of your hands. Um, but you need to be aware of them for your strategic planning purposes. Um, when you're dealing with, in your opinion, uh, your guesstimate, when you're dealing with an organization, it's a nonprofit that's a million to, well, let me ask you, let me take a step back. Typically, when do you recognize, what's the revenue of the nonprofit typically when they start saying, whoa, wait a minute, we, we need to really do a strategic plan. And so, you know, they kind of, think that they need to come to you. Do you have an, a, a guesstimate? Yeah. You know what? We work with very small organizations, uh, some of that are in the very startup, early startup phase. So I'd say close to getting to even three quarters of a million or a million dollars. Yeah, yeah. I think that's when people, most of them realize, okay, we're actually dealing with some real money now. Yeah. When they're in five figures or early six figures, I don't think it's quite hit them because they're still putting out fires, yeah. just in my experience with the clients. But once you start getting more money and you start getting again to three quarters of a million or a million, then you start seeing a little room, a little buffer room. And now you realize I can actually do more. I can build these programs out a little bit more. And that's going to take strategy. But when they're in the putting out fires phase... They don't, I don't think most stop to actually do an assessment of, of, for the strategic plan. And, um, so, and, and is it the, I, I know you're going to say both, but I'll ask the question. Is it the executive director that comes to you or is it the, the, uh, head of the board? It's usually the executive director. It is the executive director. When when there is a functioning board, it's usually because the head of the board has asked the executive director to do to it. do it. Yeah, yeah. Because I I think a lot of times the, the head of the board is a business person, and they they value a strategic plan. You know, so um, what do you, what do you think the normal turnover is uh, at a nonprofit for employees? I know in business. You know, if you're if you're really under seven percent or five percent, then that's considered good, right? But what do you think it is at what is a good benchmark at a nonprofit? Hmm. So depending on the size of the nonprofit, you feel it a little bit different. Yeah, that's so true. I'm gonna gonna take a guess and say ten percent or less. Okay. Right. But the only reason I say that is as high as ten percent is because I think the inherent nature of nonprofit work physically it can be exhausting. Um so I live in a Baltimore, Maryland area. And so I've worked with a lot of like uh urban development, youth development, education organizations. 
what you usually have are five people who have the buy-in, right, willing to take less pay that do the work of 10 to 15 people. And while they are truly invested into the mission of the organization, there's only one of them. And so it's not uncommon for, for people to take a break that turns into a permanent leave and they shift careers or to just say, I can't do it anymore. I love what you're doing. I can come back and, and volunteer on an intermittent basis, but I can't continue to do this just for my own wellness. Um, so I think it's probably a little bit higher than for profits. Um, I think anything higher than 10, 10% is cause for concern. Yeah. But. I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense too. And I think, you know, I think it's a good thing to bring that up to understand that you are not going to have zero turnover, you know, that it's going to be a function of, of many different things. But, you know, if you are staying under 5%, then that's probably normal turnover and you better get used to that. So if you have a small nonprofit and you only have, you know, several employees, just a couple employees and you lose one, right? Well, one of seven is, you know, you're like, wow, I got a bigger percentage. And that, that one person might've hurt, might not. And then there's also people that you let go too. Right. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Go ahead. Finish what you're going to I was just going to add, and, and this is again, the beauty of the strategic plan because you build in those contingencies. I've seen where organizations will build a role for a person. Um, and when that person leaves, all the function of that role <laughs> essentially go to nothing. But if that role is essential to how the organization runs, you build it beyond the individual. So if for whatever reason they leave, there are systems in place, there's a blueprint for you know the work that, that that role does so that someone else can do it in the interim or until you hire a replacement. Um, but it's really important. If you're a small team of seven, and you're relying on the personality of that one person, you're in dangerous territory, whether they stay for three months or three years. Yeah, we, we talked about two things right now so far. That is something that I hadn't thought of, I guess, turnover and cash flow when regards to strategic plan, right? But, but really, like what I, when someone would say to me, what is, what is a strategic plan, I would say it's a vision of where you want to be. And we haven't really talked a lot about that right right now. And it and um, I mean, was, is that articulating? Am I articulating it right? Yes, absolutely. Where you, where you want to be, and and we'll add a benchmark to it. Where do I want to be in one year, three year, or five years? But yeah. that's essentially it. Where do we want to be? What what does having a vision like that, a strategic plan, a vision? Okay. What, what do you think it changes in the organization when you have something like that? Well, we, we talked about culture. I think that's the first thing that it changes is, is culture. When there's clarity about how, how we're grown as an organization, there's acknowledgement of what our deficiencies are, right? And that really facilitates a culture of honesty um, among, you know, all the team members. Um, so that's the first thing is it changes culture. But I think it also provides clarity, how people work. Um, it provides clarity internally so that everybody can do their job well if they understand the vision of the strategic plan. But it also helps to create clarity externally for your customers and your stakeholders. Because if we're all making the same changes and it's uniformed across departments, that's going to be felt by our clients and our customers, right? Our marketing message might become a little bit clearer. Our operations might become a little bit clearer. And so the benefit, again, is internal and external. Um, and then the biggest thing is we can actually grow and scale as an organization. 
whether that's financially, whether we're working again on capacity growth, where we're a team of seven now, and in three years, we want to grow to a team of 15. Um, there's intentionality there, and we can actually uh, decide whether or not that type of growth is reasonable or whether it's not, and then adjust accordingly. Yeah, it's uh, the other thing that I think um, strategic planning does is it, um, well, it galvanizes everybody. Right. They, they, everyone's moving in, in, in a, in a straight line together. And I think people want that. Right. Well, we talked a little bit about that, but I also, from my own experience, it, I don't, I think you need to bring someone in from the outside, just like yourself. Right. Andrea, I'm talking, um, Andrina, um, because the, the one thing that you, that people overestimate what a outside consultant or coach can do for you is that they have experience working with a whole bunch of other nonprofits and then they bring that experience to you. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something that an executive director um, can't get unless they've been in the business for 25, 30 years, you know, then that's a little different. The other thing is that when you're vested uh, in the mission of the, of the organization, um, Sometimes you have these blinders on, right? And you don't, you, you know, you, you see things as you think they are, but someone on the outside will say, prove it to me. I don't, you know, I'll, I'll use a, a, not a nice way to say that. And that is, I don't, I don't believe you. Let prove it to me what you're talking about, right? Yeah. Have you seen that? Yeah, I've seen that and I've experienced it. Um, McQuinn, the organization you mentioned earlier, is, is fairly new. Um, and although I serve within that cap- capacity now, actually doing nonprofit work, I've been a nonprofit consultant with Perk Consulting for 12 years. And I recently had to call someone in. Yeah. Not because, you know, I don't have the skills to actually, you know, step back and, and assess what's happening, but I know that there are blinders, right? And, and it's natural to have blinders because you're focused on the work that's right, right in front of you. But I see it all the time. Um, I've seen it where the blinders are so heavy, right, or so thick that even people around the executive director, they're trying to point it out and the ED doesn't see it. The board is saying, this is wrong. We need to do this better. And the ED is just insistent. No, we're going to keep doing it that way. But I see it all the time. And again, I think it's natural. Um, what's dangerous, though, is to not admit that that there could be blinders there. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Well, um, it's really a great podcast. I learned a lot. Um, you know, it was all the time we have for today. Um, and, you know, I th- would like to thank so very much Andrina Sawyer from Perk Consulting for coming on today's podcast. And if you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend. And also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. And if you like today's podcast, please give us a review on your podcasting app to get help us get the word out. Nonprofit MBA podcast has become very popular. And uh, those reviews really help get the, uh, the word out. And if you're looking for a line of credit for your nonprofit, feel free to visit our website, website at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. Andrina, uh, if people want to get a hold of you, how would they go about doing that? Right. So right on our website, parkconsulting.net. And we're also social at park underscore consulting on most platforms. Yeah. So it's P-E-R-K consulting.net for everybody that's out there. And Gina, thanks for coming on today. 
Thank you for having me. So I want to um, just I end every podcast this way. I just want to uh, thank all of you um, for the listeners for uh, not just listening to the podcast, but for trying to make the world a better place. I know uh, that uh, you're out there every single day trying to make things better. And I thank you for that. We certainly need it. And But I just want to remind everybody that uh, this is a marathon and not a sprint. And you need to take care of yourself first because otherwise you're not any good to your family, your employees, your mission, the people you're helping, so on and so forth first. So you, you should be thinking every day, you know, what do I do? What do I need to do for myself to make sure that I can run this marathon? And of course, that includes eating right, exercising, praying or meditating, whatever it is that helps you be you. And so just don't forget about that. Think of yourself first and then the rest uh, will come easy. Other than that, I want to thank you for listening to the Nonprofit MBA podcast and uh, everybody have a great day. 